You are listening to the Body Charge podcast, and I'm your host, Sandy Sanderson. Welcome to the Body Charge podcast. An abusive relationship is what we're going to focus on today. The title is How a Narcissist Can Sabotage Your Mental State. It not only happens in intimate partnerships or relationships, but also in the workforce, in business, in every area where you may be working as part of a team. The abuse is part of a power play and often involves a narcissistic personality type. My special guest today is Dana Diaz, a wife, mother and author of a best-selling book called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Dana has had lifelong experience with narcissistic abuse beginning in childhood. Her education in journalism and psychology at DePaul University in Chicago gave her the ability to accurately recognize narcissistic abuse and how it creates confusion and conflict within victims. She now helps many to take back control of their lives, detach from the abuse situation and regain confidence to live a happier and more fulfilling life. So welcome aboard, Dana. So happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I'd like to ask how you became a specialist in this area of recognizing <laughs> narcissism and how did how did you work out yourself how to detach and all the nuances of it? Well, unfortunately, it was just life experience. I was born to a mother that um, didn't want me to begin with. Um, and definitely exhibited a lot of narcissistic traits, um, but she married the king of all narcissists. And my stepfather was physically and verbally abusive, um, but I, I saw firsthand, you know, my whole childhood, what how a narcissist operates and, and became very wise in their ways. And unfortunately, I left their house thinking that I would never allow anybody to treat me like that again. And I would never fall prey to an abusive uh, person in any aspect of my life. And at 19, what did I do? I walked right into the web of, of another narcissist, only he was a little more unassuming. Um, but it was still pretty awful. Um, was with him for 25 years. We got married, we had a child. And um, in the end, um, unfortunately, he wanted to kill me. So um, I learned a lot in the first 45 years of my life. But I also learned how to break free. And, and you know, unfortunately, you almost have to learn how, how to manipulate um, your way to survive through the process. Um, but it's much nicer on the other side. And so I hope to serve as an example that you can escape it and, and you can prevent it, you know, if you're just more aware and even more aware of who you are as a person. I guess that's everyone's lifelong journey, isn't it? We're here yeah. playing this virtual reality game, learning <laughs> about who we are in relation yeah. to others. And didn't you find that all your experiences with other people actually give you some kind of reflection um, of clarity more about who you are because it's always comparing it's always in relation to someone else it's like well, I wouldn't do that and I think that's how innocent people fall into these traps yes. because they can't see the sleight of hand they can't see the illusion or the delusion of it they can't see um, that there's something beneath the surface that they're not seeing and and they get caught because they themselves wouldn't do those things would you say that's a fair analysis 
I think that's very accurate because we so often, and we all do it, we look at things from our frame of mind and, and we're all so complex. Our childhoods, our geographical you know, tendencies and social norms in this place versus that place, or, you know, it, there's so many things that affect who we are and, and how we view the world that one person's experience, even in the same situation, might be completely different than another's. So it's hard to really, you know, judge another person and how, you know, you could say, oh, if my spouse was unfaithful, I'd leave them. Well, guess what? Some of us don't. And you'd be surprised how many don't. You'd be surprised how many, you know, stay beyond that. And, oh, well, if I, my spouse, you know, abused me in this way or did that, I would leave. Well, you know, and when you're a child, when it's a childhood abuse situation, children can't just walk out, no. you know, so they're stuck. They don't have a choice or, or maybe like in my case, my mother didn't believe me when I told her that her husband was abusing me. So then what? Who's there to protect me? Who's there to turn to? So yeah, absolutely. Our life perspective absolutely shapes how we see things and how we see other people. Because even, you know, referring back to my childhood, my mother and stepfather had their own child eventually, and he thinks he has the best parents in the world. I had a very, very different experience with the same people. But even in their perspective, I was a different child. I was the one that wasn't wanted. He was. So it's all how you look at things. Yes. Wow. So a lot does go back to um, the uh, the attitude of the parents, isn't it? We see that a lot in mixed family situations where the, the two divorcees get together. Mm -hmm. It's like the Brady Bunch family. Remember the yeah. old show? <laughs> Not yes. quite that nice. <laughs> there's always a pre the preferred ones that uh yes the, you know they're the preferred offspring and yeah you know, the there's always a tension child. I think there's always a tension there and that has to be compensated for and it, it's kind of like a background stress all the time isn't it yeah it is and you know that's definitely like my brother and I I was definitely the scapegoat child I was blamed for everything and anything even if I had nothing to do with it and he was the golden child that could do no wrong you know but again it's how we were viewed by our parents and therefore they treated us as they viewed us you know but even from a narcissistic perspective I mean it's it's the same concept a narcissist is going to treat you how they view you but they also want to manipulate you so if they want something they'll be nice to you and and they know how to play you and push your buttons to get you to do what they want you to do and when they don't approve of something or if you god forbid challenge them or see them you know for for who they truly are then well you're going to suffer the consequences of, of being that smart it's kind of like living with a dictator and they just well, have a lust for power. That is exactly it. And I have said that many times that, you know, by the end of my marriage, my first marriage um, that lasted 25 years, that's when I realized that my whole life up to then, 45 years, I had been first dictated what my life would be by my stepfather and then by the man I married. Everything was dictated, what I could do for work, 
the lipstick I could wear or not wear, what I could eat or not eat, what I should, I mean, everything, everything, what micromanaged. music I could listen to, micromanaged to an extreme, but they have to do this because they have to keep you very closely uh, controlled because as long as they have their hooks in you, so to speak, and can control you, then you don't have outside influence. You don't have other people strengthening you or, or supporting you, you know, or giving you ideas of leaving. You don't have a job where you have financial freedom to be able to leave and, and feel good about being on your own. You don't have joy and success and the sense of achievement or your sense of self. They basically strip you of who you are. They of don't course. want you to feel any kind of identity. Because if you have an identity, then you're not theirs. And at the end of the day, you are their possession. You are what? you are theirs to control. So they have to demean what? you, insult you, diminish every part of your being I was so that say you are at their whim. I was going to say it's like a pet, but it's actually worse than a pet. We treat our pets much better. Yeah, you probably do. Although it felt like in my marriage, especially, I I constantly refer every every you know symbolism I make about it is it felt like being a dog with yep. a leash. You know, yes. I was on a retractable leash. leash. I was held close. You know, even you know there were things that he would do to keep me in line um, by intimidating or causing me fear. That felt like that felt like having a shock collar. Like I knew. If I stepped across that boundary, there was a consequence. So I didn't step across that boundary. Whereas people looking in from the outside see it as, oh, you're being submissive or you're not strong enough. You're weak. It's not that at all. You're just scared. A prisoner, a prisoner. Yes, with a shock collar. absolutely. Yeah, that's yes. a good analogy. Yeah, so how, how does a, it reminds me of a cult. You know how they cut off yes. other family relationships or friends. You kind of any anyone outside the cult, and everyone has yes. to toe the line and think the same way and wear the same <laughs> clothes or you know whatever yep. the rules are, uh, the cult rules. So it's like a mini mini cult in that family environment, isn't it? It really is. It's funny that I've never thought about it that way, but what you said is exactly right because. One of the first things most narcissists will do is isolate you. They will find reason to prevent you from being involved with your family. Then they don't like your friends and, and they pull you away from your friends. And, you know, even in my case, and, and this happens a lot, he moved me 90 miles outside of the city to, you know, in the middle of cornfields where there was nothing and nobody so there wasn't even anybody to interact with if I wanted to, and it was too far to drive to see anybody. So it, you know, they have to keep you, they want you to rely just on them. But the biggest thing is they have to be your only influence. And it goes back to that control because for them to control you, you cannot be influenced by other people. You and can't have to go to work and have a friend saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you deserve better. They can't have that, that positive stuff influencing you. And, and role models, someone else that, well, look, I'm doing this and it's fun and it's great. And I'm exactly. being successful doing it this way. So yes. So it's, 
and and they also erode your self-confidence don't they they criticize a lot and they they call you names they denigrate you give you labels so they completely strip you as you said of your identity um so they do yes yeah go ahead how does someone become a narcissist how does how do people like i know that there must be a lot in the population and thank god i haven't had anyone in my immediate close family circle but i do know a lot of people who have had these issues so they're very prevalent aren't they it is prevalent i mean i can only speak to here in the u.s they say about a half percent of the population would be considered, you know, a a narcissist, which is about one out of every 200 people. Um, But more than 20% of our male prison population in the United States, you know, identified as narcissists. So they can be obviously very dangerous. Um, How they're created or how they come to be narcissists, this is a point of debate among many. Um, It's basically a nature versus nurture theory. Some people think they're born that way. I don't particularly subscribe to that. Um, I am leaning more towards the nurture because in my life, the narcissists that at least I have come across, and they have been different types of narcissists, but they either come out of a situation of, you know, sort of like we were talking about back in childhood, where you have that favored child, that golden child, Not all golden children are raised to be narcissists, but some people raise their children um, to to such a level of self-esteem that these children truly believe they are superior and deserve, you know, extraordinary treatment um, above everybody and anybody else. And so there's that sense of entitlement that they carry into their adult life and they carry this into their friendships and into work and their romantic relationships where they basically expect servitude. They expect everybody to treat them as if they are this special magical being that their parents really, you know, in trying to develop a selfie, healthy self-esteem in them have just exalted them to the point where it's just not productive anymore. So and it's actually more damaging. They're elated. Exactly. Because- but then on the other, yeah, the, on the other hand, then there's, you know, parents that maybe, you know, maybe it was the scapegoat child or a, a child that felt like less than the favored children that maybe felt neglected in some way. Perhaps they were abused or neglected and, and maybe like my ex-husband, they weren't, but they felt like they were. They felt like they were treated like less. And so they seek to fulfill their ego and to, to feel more important than what they really are and, and to get admiration and praise in manipulative ways. So that's my theory. And, and you know, I've even heard, you know, silly things like they're aliens and they're, I, I don't know about any of that, but I think it does come down to nature versus nurture. I just haven't seen anything that really supports the nature theory. It seems to me that um, to be like that, you'd have to have a complete lack of empathy or, or the shutting off or putting up a firewall against feeling what someone else must feel like in the reverse, you know, on the receiving end, that they, they have the incapacity to to um yeah, put themselves in someone else's shoes, almost like a robot. 
Um, Absolutely. And they don't even feel for themselves, honestly. And I think that's where the, the real problem lies. I, I have seen that it comes from a deep seated insecurity that they are not, they, they don't feel very good about themselves. So they need other people to reflect back to them, the, the, the person that they want to be or that they wish they could be. So again, it's just, yes, yeah, seeking this, this admiration, this, this exaltation so that they feel more important. It's just that some of them can do that, um, you know, in a way that's damaging the person they're with, because not all narcissists are bad. I don't want anybody to, you know, walk away from this thinking, oh, this person's a narcissist. I should stay away. You know, I always liken it to tumors. You can have a benign tumor that's there. You know, these are the people on social media taking pictures of their fabulous bodies and their pretty faces, and and they really do look as good as they think they do. But they're not hateful. They're not. They're not harming anybody. You know, it might annoy you a little bit, but they're they're just there. But then we have malignant tumors that will cause you problems. They might even kill you. These are the narcissists that we want to, you know, that I'm talking about that we want to steer clear of because the these are the people ones. that yeah. are, yeah, they're going to intentionally cause you harm. And as you said, they have no, no feeling. And I think, I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious, honestly, they have a hard time feeling anything less than whatever they feel is the standard because even in my previous marriage is awful I mean we had domestic violence and everything there were multiple abuses going on but for example if I responded to something that he said or did by crying because I was reasonably upset and and hurt he would get angrier because he would see the the consequence of his actions and it would make him mad at himself for having caused it. Right. But then he'd take the anger out on me again because he couldn't handle, he couldn't take accountability for it. So it would be my fault. Stop yes. crying. You're making me feel this way. You did. So they yep. have a way of turning things around so that they don't it's have always to your accept fault. Yes. Yes, they don't take responsibility. And this to me seems like a delusion. They're living in their yes. own fantasy world. And when you confront them with something different to their delusion, that's what causes cognitive dissonance, that they, yes. they get angry because it doesn't match up with their delusion. Exactly. Um, of obedience or whatever you should be doing. Exactly. And they're very good at creating this delusion. I mean, we call this gaslighting when they try to make you subscribe to their version of reality. But, you know, this is where as a victim, you know, you are starting to question, you know, their motives, their intentions. Are they telling the truth? Are they like, I mean, you don't even know, but they're also creating this narrative and they're very good at convincing other people you know, of, and they're convincing you know, the victims because surely you yes. must, without uh, bouncing off other people or seeing um, how other people live in this controlled environment, you must be getting to a stage where you doubt your own uh, mental you health. Do. Well, because every time, I mean, for me, I can speak to that every time. I mean, he would say something and then if I brought it up again, or if it was something I felt I wanted to address because I was feeling bold and like I wanted to try to, you know, resolve this, 
I didn't say that, or you mistook that, or I was joking. You know, he would negate it in some way that would make me question, did I mishear him? Did I misjudge that? Did I take it wrong? Or like my mother would, her go-to was, you're so sensitive, you're taking it so it's because you're emotional, you know? So yeah, when you're constantly hearing this, you're questioning it, which is why I started writing things down because I needed to know what was what. But I mean, a perfect example of this in my former marriage was that, you know, they always tell their victim, you're crazy, you're crazy. Well, mine, my ex would tell me, you're bipolar, you're bipolar. He would tell other people I was bipolar. He had me so convinced I had bipolar disorder that I went to a psychiatrist thinking, if I really do have this, I would like, you know, I'm self-aware and I have a it. child I'm raising. Mm -hmm. I, I need to take accountability for this and get myself better. And I answered all the questions correctly to the psychiatrist and went back home with two medications for bipolar disorder that I was on for 17 years. I thought you were going to say he didn't find it. <laughs> no, I answered all his questions correctly because I was answering, I was telling him what my ex-husband was, well, he was my then husband, but, you know, do you tend to do this? Well, my husband says, what about this? My husband says, do you ever feel this? Well, Yeah you know, because I, I'm, I'm thinking that every, you know, I'm hearing in my head, everything that my husband had been telling me, but 17 years, I was on these medications. Oh. And, you know, when I was finally out of that marriage and had my yearly appointment come up, you know, and we talked about things and I had admitted what my marriage really was because I hadn't said so before, you know, the long and short of that was that he, he, he retracted his diagnosis. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, you were having reasonable, you know, reactions, obviously to, to abuse and mistreatment. But he says, I think we can pull back on the, and I don't take the medications anymore. And guess what? I'm fine. It, it's sad to me. I think when people say, how could you have stayed so long? I feel like being on mood stabilizers, where I was numbed to feeling too much about much of anything that was happening. Numbed and dumbed. Yeah. Yeah. Basically helped me sustain the relationship that long. Helped you be a prisoner for longer. Pretty much. So how did you eventually break free? What is the recipe or the things that people can do if they start to recognize or suspect that they could be in this? Or, or you know, perhaps people do realize but they can't get out of it because they're so afraid that stepping out of that is the worst bad. Yes. And, and that's the thing, you know, it's sort of like an addict, you know, you can't tell somebody who's addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, you know, you, you're not going to say something or, you know, their children are not, they, they have to make that decision for themselves because too often we feel this person has made us feel as at least in the romantic realm of narcissism the person has made us feel that we can't make it without them we are incompetent we are incapable we are you know we're delirious we're we're everything and we cannot be without them so you know what happened with me was basically a deal breaker happened we all have a deal breaker in any relationship um I couldn't have even told you what mine was because what the deal breakers should have been 
had all happened, including attempts on my life. That should be a deal breaker in a relationship. What happened with me was I eventually got sick. I had so much cortisol running in through my body for so long um, because I had been living in fight or flight most of my life that I had started having autoimmune reactions. I had about two dozen autoimmune reactions that would plague me every day. And, and then I was diagnosed by Mayo Clinic. They diagnosed me with a lung syndrome that's similar to having um, COPD and fibromyalgia all at once. Um, but having this illness and dropping to a skeletal 93 pounds and having to wear a backpack oxygen machine just to keep my oxygen saturation levels above 83%, you know, and, and for, you know, reference during COVID 93% was, was low and was considered having COVID. My levels were down to 83%. Some days my heart was barely beating. I was barely alive. So did you and have my doctors in, an internal alarm bell ringing to say, I yeah. have to do something or I won't survive? Well, that was the thing. The doctor said, you, you stress really is killing you and you are barely alive. Your body's doing everything it can just to breathe and keep your heart pumping. You, you would have had you extremely, are going to die. Yeah, you would have had extremely low magnesium, which comes from excessive stress and trauma. And, yes. and that then causes a cascade of other illnesses because it's the most important mineral electrolyte for um, body electricity, energy. So you would have had extreme fatigue, um, yes. emotional upsets. So when yes. you're low in magnesium, little things become big things. You can't deal with the stress very well. The lower the yes. magnesium gets, the, the less uh, resilient you become. And so the more likely people are to to be put on medications which then cause another cascade of side effects so we go into a downward spiral right i was fortunate that i my my neurologist actually told me because i i was not a fan i, I you know the heart doctor wants to give me this the gastroenterologist i didn't want to be on all these other things that cause their problems i was led towards functional medicine and thank you for bringing up magnesium because after she did a blood draw, she said, okay, I'm going to give you a list of things that I, I want you to take the organic form of them. But she gave me a list of foods, organic foods, and also supplements that I can get um, that would be very critical to me becoming healthy. And magnesium was at the top of that list. And, you know, this is something that I try to tell people once I was starting to take these things, including the magnesium and making sure I was eating the organic foods that were full of these nutrients as well, my life changed. I mean, yes, I got divorced and, and being out of the situation was, was critical to my survival, but almost within, I mean, it was within a couple of months, I didn't need my oxygen machine anymore. I was gaining the weight back to a healthy weight. I wasn't, you know, experiencing numb hands and blurred vision and irregular heartbeats. And my mother, I mean, I want people to understand that at my worst, when my body was shutting down, as my doctor said, I couldn't even tear toilet paper off the roll, mm -hmm. toilet paper. I was so weak. 
And yes, they, they were testing me for, a, you know, my adrenals for some kind of fatigue syndrome and, and, you know, exploring different, you know, illnesses and autoimmunities, but yes. it was cortisol had done me in and, yes. and taking magnesium. And, you know, I had some other ones, you know, they wanted mm -hmm. me on p potassium and vitamin D, obviously, you know, there were a few other things, but yeah, D is good for the immune system, but exactly. you, need, you need magnesium to even make synthesized vitamin D. So yes. it's absolutely fundamental. It's the one you pee out excessively under stress. And exactly. if you add magnesium back in, in sufficient quantities, it suppresses the adrenaline, the cortisone, the, um, all the stress hormones subside and go back to normal. So you feel calm yes. and relaxed then. And that's, yes, that's it was a critical, critical supplement. So you exactly. took control. You took control of your life, which is a great um, hero story. I, I yes. love it. I love it. When all is lost, you pulled that inner <laughs> spirit out and you stood up in your own space, in your own spirit yes. and said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to rise up and I'm not going to let someone do this to me ever again. Did you feel like you were strengthened by just the idea of it? I was, I really, I realized that I was still in there because I had lost myself completely. As you said, I, everything had been dictated and I had gone along with it all out of fear. And once that, you know, when, when you're told that, you know, your life is on the line, your fear of earthly things kind of goes away because you realize, you know, you, your perspective changes. And I wasn't going to let my life end because of, you know, these terrible people, because they had their own unhealed trauma that they burdened me with and that yep. they, you know, felt certain ways about themselves that they wanted to then make me feel so they could step on me to yep. feel like they were better. I that's a, that's was worthy exactly and yeah, yeah, and I was worthy. And I realized that, you know, it started with having enough respect for myself to get myself healthy again. But then that was a loving gesture to, to myself to say, you know what, maybe my mother and stepfather don't think that I, I was ever meant to be in this world. They have said as much. Maybe my ex thinks so little of me that he wants my life to end. But you know what? I was meant to be here. And I have a son that I want to raise and I have a life to live and things I want to do because there is something in me that, you know, regardless of these people that wanted to dictate all these things to me, there were things that my soul wanted to do all on their own. And I am doing all those things. And it's only been three years and three months since my divorce from that man. And I can tell you, honestly, everything I have ever wanted has happened in that short time, because I am living life unapologetically now. Because you're, you're giving love to yourself. Yes. And, and in that process, you don't accept to carry other people's baggage. So these are other people's sins and, and the consequences yes. other people have to take, like the narcissist, they carry a big baggage and they just want to offload it to others because it's the easy way out and it's mm -hmm. not fair. They need to be responsible and make up for their sins and say, I'm sorry and make amends and do all those things that should be done on a spiritual level. Um, I was going to just say before we finish, that all your symptoms also can be accounted for what they call sick heart syndrome when you're extremely sad inside 
just yes. sad, emotionally sad all the time. And so your heart starts to malfunction. It's it can very connected with magnesium deficiency, but um, it, it's just another level of stress um, that is part of that um, decline in health. Um, and we need to recognize that on an internal level and go, okay, I need to change something or I'm not going to be able to be in this life. And that's it. That's right. a decision everyone has to make. So exactly. very quickly before we finish, how can people connect with you or find your book? What do they have to do? Absolutely. Go to my website, danasdiaz.com. It's D-A-N-A-S-D-I-A-Z. My links for Facebook and Instagram are on there. And I encourage everybody to look and see. I post every day. Sometimes it's funny stuff. Sometimes it's health-related stuff. Sometimes um, it, it's resources. You can find out more information. Um, but yes, the link for my book is also on my website. And this podcast will also be on there because I think it's important if you do know somebody that you might be think is in a relationship that doesn't serve them very well. Um, it, it, yes, I would love for you to my, buy my book and give it to them, but it's very unlikely they will read the book, but they will certainly listen to this podcast. So please share the link with them. Lovely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. I know it will help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you liked this conversation and will share it with others. Hear more from Body Charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on blogs, podcasts, videos and magnesium special offers at electromagnesium.com.au. Relax, recharge and recover.